0: On today's show, we're going to continue our summertime series, Performance Equals Profit, Part 5. Your CSRs are going to learn how to never say no to a homeowner. Your service technicians will know the importance of goals and how to set them. And your sales folks are going to learn why the five-step sales process is so important to their success and their income. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there in Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. On today's CSR segment, we're going to talk about the value of listening, empathy, and understanding what's going on with your customer. The bottom line is we never wanna say no to our customer and it's really important to listen and get them to participate so we can identify their problem. I want you to join Brigham Dickinson in this short piece as he talks about the value of listening.
1: Customer service call center needs to have a team that knows how to listen. Truly listen to their customers. They They need to be taught how to listen. Well, how do you do that? It's very simple. You need to help them realize that when you're talking to somebody face-to-face, you don't have to say anything. You have eye contact. You can can nod your head up and down. You can be taking notes with the eye contact. you You can do all kinds of things. But over the phone, we don't have that luxury. So there's things that you have to say to show that you're listening. Sometimes it's as simple as restating. You want to be careful with that. Customer says, hey, I've got this air conditioner, it's blowing hot air. And you re- just repeat, hey, I okay, so you've got this, this air conditioner that's blowing hot air, and you can, and of course the customer's gonna say, Well, yeah, that's what I just said. So so sometimes it's a, it is as simple as rephrasing. Other times it it may be a matter of asking more questions. So you've got an air conditioner that's blowing hot air, how long has it been doing that? Oh, last couple of days. So wait a minute, you've been dealing with this heat for the last couple of days, man. That's difficult. You see, you're showing them that you're listening. Sometimes it's just a matter of, uh, uh, of showing a, uh, some sort of expression, a simple hmm, or a huh, or a wow, or a geez, something of that nature. That Those are all ways to show the customer that you're listening. Because your objective is to create a call center that has a culture, that is self-motivated to perform at a high level, you know, to work at an autonomous level, you definitely want to teach them to be positive and you wanna teach them to be confident. Once you've covered those things, you wanna start taking care of the emotional needs of the customer. The way you take care of their emotional needs is to show them that you're listening, show them that you care, and reassure them that they've called the right place. So listening is simple. You can restate the information. You can rephrase it. Customer gets on the phone, they say they've got an air conditioner, it's blowing hot air, so you just rephrase that information. All right, so you've got an AC, it's not working the way it should right now. So I just rephrase that content. You can use expressions of concern—a simple "hmm," or, oh, or "wow," or "a geez." There's tons of things that you can use there because our angles create a wow experience. And the way that we create a wow experience is to create a culture inside the office, inside that call center, where they're motivated—they're self-motivated. They don't care about how much they're being paid, they don't care how long it takes, they don't care how hard it is. They're motivated by the work itself. The customer is struggling with whatever. There's, there's problems with their AC, there's problems with, with their air conditioner. Um, they may have some personal problems that they're dealing with. And, and what they're doing is, is they're sharing personal things like they've got a hip replacement or they're on a fixed income or they've got their mother-in-law with, with them or, the, or their son is, is uh, four months old and they can't go without AC. There's all kinds of things that they share. And, and the reason why they share this is because they, they have these emotional needs where they, they want to be understood. They, they want to be cared about, and they want to be reassured that they've called the right place. They need those things first. They need those things before you get an address, before you find out if they're in your service area. Those things need to be taken care of first. Why? Because they want to connect with you. Now, here's the really cool thing about connecting with a customer. They like you. Now, if they like you, guess what happens? Um, the fee at the end doesn't matter as much. Why? Because they like you. Uh, you not being able to come out today as opposed to tomorrow. It doesn't matter as much if they like you. You see, they become more amiable and flexible if they like you. Let me give you one example. Say a, a stranger worker to come into your kitchen and make a mess of your kitchen. What are you going to do? I'd be willing to bet that you would kick that person out of your house. In the South, they might, you know, there might be a firearm involved. You know what I'm talking about, right? Let's say your son were to make a mess in the kitchen. Let's say he spills milk all over the ground. You going to kick him out? Hopefully a firearm's not involved. You know what I'm talking about. Of course you're not going to do that. None of that's going to happen. You're going to get down on the ground with your son. You're going to clean up the mess with him. You're going to say, oh, buddy, listen, next time you want to pour the milk in your cereal, let let me help you with that, right? Let daddy help you with that. And then you go on with your life. Nothing happens there. There's no confrontation. There might be a little frustration. But it's a teaching moment. And that kid's going to go on with his life and you're going to go on with your life. You're not going to have a second thought about it because it happens all the time. Why? Are you more patient with your son? It's because of the relationship. It's because of the connection. You see, if we can get people to like us, to build a relationship with us, to connect with us. Everything else is easy. So what do you do? You show them that you're listening, you show them that you care, and you reassure them that have called the right place. Very simple. You listen first. A lot of ways to do that. You can rephrase the content. You can restate. You can, you can simply go, hmm, or huh, or wow, or geez, or, or anything like that. Just show them that, they're, that, they're, that uh, you're engaged in that conversation. And then you show them that you care. They share things, right? I just had a hip replacement. My son's four months old. Can't go without a C. They share things like that. And you say, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Or I can only imagine what you're going through. That sort of thing. So you show them that you care. And then you say yes. Yes, I can help you with that. They don't want to hear no. We have a tendency to say no an awful lot. No, I can't do this, but I can do that. Don't do any of those things. Never say no. Focus on what you can do, never what you cannot do. You see this foundation that we're creating in your call center? Because guess what? Everything else, tidiness, cleanliness, you can go to a tour in Zappos and find out all about them, all right? About how your call center should be set up. I'm talking about the thing that you should put here, all right? The foundation that they're motivated by on the inside, all right? So they're positive, they're confident, they listen, they care, they say yes.
0: Now you know sometimes when a CSR is talking to a homeowner, the homeowner is asking for one thing, but it might not really be the thing they want. Join Brigham Dickinson once again, and he's going to talk about, give them what they want, not necessarily what they ask for.
1: Now you teach them to ask. Now an application of ask is, when would you like us to come out? Some are afraid of this question. You don't need to be afraid of the question. Because whether you find out what their expectation is, of when they'd like for you to come out or not, they still have an, expe- an expectation. So you might as well find out what it is. When would you like us to come out? All right, so that's your objective there. Ask for it. Now, a really cool thing about ask, the principle behind it, this is autonomy in action. What is autonomy in action? Your objective. Just like the Chick-fil-A story where she said, yeah, it's quite an ordeal. Would you like some? She gave me what I wanted as opposed to what I ordered. Not just what I ordered. Same thing here. In every situation, you're looking to win the moment. You win the moment, you create a wow experience. So how do you win the moment? Well, you find out what's missing. What's missing? What's missing in this situation? What exactly does this person need? They're saying that they want something. But if you ask the right questions, you can find out what they really, really, really want. Because they can get on the phone and they can say, hey, what do you charge for a pound of R22? But is it really what they want? Do they really want a pound of R22? They're they're stocking up their R22 for, for a rainy day? No, they want their air conditioner to start working. That's the real problem. So you've got to ask the right questions to get to the real problem. And that's what you're doing. Customer gets on the phone, they want a ballpark price. Again, what's missing here? Because do you think they do that for their health? Hey, I want to uh, get a ballpark price. I'm putting together a catalog of prices for the, you know, just, just for the fun of it. It'd be so much fun. No, they want to fix something. So you want to find out what's missing here. What's missing? What's the right answer? And then respond accordingly. That is the ask principle in action. That is autonomy in action.
0: Now, keep in mind, if you're not a member, fill out the form next to me right here. You're going to get a free training package for CSRs. In this week's Service Tech segment, I want to remind you, we've been talking over the last few weeks about getting the right mindset, the prosperity mindset for service technicians. Now that we've got the foundation laid and you understand why it's so important to have the right mindset, I want to put those concepts into action. In this first segment, I'm going to talk to you about using the specific mindset to set your goals in the beginning of the fear process. The F stands for focus. Once you kind of understand this concept that there's a direct relationship between, you know, what's in the box, what's in your mind, and what's going on in your life, the natural question is, you know, what do I do about it? Once you realize, wow, my financial condition is a reflection of my thoughts about finances, my relationships are a reflection of, you know, when I think about relationships, my health is a reflection of what I think about health and fitness, once you realize that, then you gotta stop and consider, well what do I do about it? How do I change the contents of the box? Well fortunately I've developed a very simple process to help you analyze what's in the box and to change the things that you might need to change. The process is called the upside of fear. It's actually the title of my first book and fear is an acronym for focus, emotional commitment, action, and responsibility. The first step is to get focused. You gotta figure out what do I really want? What do I want with my money? What do I want with my relationships? What do I want with my mental, spiritual, or physical health? You gotta get really clear. One of my favorite books is Think and Grow Rich, written by Napoleon Hill, and in that book 100 years ago, Napoleon Hill Outlines the 17 characteristics of really successful people. And the very first characteristic is what he called a definite purpose. You gotta have a specific purpose. You gotta have focus. You gotta know exactly what you want out of your relationships, out of your finances, out of every area of your life. So that's the first step. You gotta get focused on what you want. Then you gotta get focused on what do I need to do. To get the things that I want. I mean, obviously, if you figure out what you want, you got to figure out a couple of things, one or two things, don't overcomplicate it. You don't want 50 things because the confused mind says no. You got to identify just one or two things that, if you do on a consistent basis, will give you the things that you want. So get focused on what you want, get focused on what you gotta do, and then of course you have to address the limiting beliefs. You gotta look at the junk in the trunk. What ideas might be holding you back? What ideas might be causing conflict in your mind about money or relationships? You gotta identify these limiting beliefs and make sure that things you're thinking today are consistent with what you want today, not what somebody else might have wanted for you 20 or 30 years ago. So that's the focus step. Now, to get some additional perspective, I want to share this clip with you from Gary Ellis that talks about rising tides lift all boats and how important it is to have the right mindset and how personal goals can integrate with the company goals.
2: In this particular video segment, we're going to talk about technician goal setting and how we want to align the technician goal setting with the service department goals or the company specific goals so that we have in concert working together the individual technicians setting their own goals, working with the service management and the company so We create that uh, idea of having consistency and alignment. So a couple things to think about. A lot of technicians uh, rely on the company to assign goals. And so as a service technician, what I would like you to do is I want you to think about that prosperity mindset that we've talked about. When you think about the attitude that we talked about and how we're gonna approach the overall process of doing your craft, your work, and so forth. So I think it's imperative that we set our own goals and we're going to define those goals based on the ideas of what our interests are, our compensation, and how we want to actually sort of take away the rewards, not just money, but the idea that we have job satisfaction, we're doing things that are appropriate you know, in the community and so forth. So your goals need to be your goals, and the company's goals then are going to be set, and there should be that alignment. So I'd like you to consider the principle of stretch goals, which is you know, set yourself a target that might be a little bit farther out there than what the company target looks like. And based on that principle, your mind will begin collecting data and information that will allow you to hopefully achieve some of those objectives. So now every company will be different as well. So what you and my company's goal-setting process are may be quite different. Uh, So I'm going to take you over to the whiteboard. We're going to go through some very specific ideas about how we look at our service department and our goal-setting process with our service technicians. And we simply encourage the guys to sit down and map out their own goal setting process as it attaches to the company's specific goals. So uh, no one technician or no one individual uh, is going to be fantastic at every single thing that there is in life. So some technicians are granted the responsibilities and have the, the ability within the company to sell. Other technicians may not have had application or ductwork experience training yet, so we may not allow them to sell we may have a senior selling technician arrive and support that process, or some companies might have a lead turnover process, It's kind of how we do it. So um, we got guys that are trained and ready to sell, and we've got guys that are not. So depending on how you're set up in your company and how your structure of your business is organized, you really just should organize your goal setting process to match what we would consider to be the business model. And then the final thing we're gonna talk about on the whiteboard is most service technicians, um, unfortunately, have not been trained to be able to understand the importance of creating the transaction and how that actually affects the company. So I'm gonna train you today on how the goal setting process lines up with the overall company process of creating a profit in service. So we're all on the same page that when we ask a technician to do something in a particular way, it's not because we're trying to be you know vindictive or we wanna you know do it this particular way because we have no rationale. In fact, there is a very definite rationale and it has to do with how the income statement of a company uh, produces a profit, how cash flow works, and essentially when we understand that, my experience has been when I have my technicians as a group fully aware of why we're doing things the way we're doing them, the idea of establishing a goal or taking an approach to you know solving a problem, everybody is in the canoe together and we're all uh, understanding what's going on, so the alignment is much more effective.
0: Now that you have a pretty good idea of the mindset and how that applies to goals and making sure that your goals integrate with the company goals, I want you to watch Gary Alex as he he discusses what are the specific goals that you should have as a service technician.
2: So first and foremost, uh, I want to talk through, we've basically got about 10 areas of goal setting process here today. Once again, you may not have all of these in your company. Um, These are absolutely what we would consider to be goals, metrics and measurement processes within the framework of our business. Uh, So plumbing will be slightly different than HVAC, electrical will be different yet again, so what we're talking about here is just a basic HVAC process. So the first goal would be average ticket, and that's going to be somewhat based on the price that a company has set in the marketplace. But one of the things that we know is that in the technician communication and sales process, we need to be able to establish the repairs today that we have to deal with, and what we need to do is we need to do an absolutely thorough diagnostic analysis on the system. So oftentimes technicians get caught up in the peak season and they establish a repair and they don't go through the full diagnostic process and create the opportunities for recommendations based on the idea of what's going on. Uh, in Weldon's sales process, you know he talks about if I was a doctor and I knew you had a, you know, a disease that was harmful to you and I was only there to diagnose a cold, but I discovered that there was a disease, Wouldn't you want to know about that so that you could deal with it and fix it? And so we talk about the same thing with the diagnostic analysis. We need to be sure that we're giving the homeowner the information that they need in order to make the informed decision. So the base idea of saying, hey, these are the absolute repairs that need to be fixed today to repair the machine, to repair the total comfort system. But if you see duct modification issues, airflow issues, humidity control, dehumidification, areas of concern inside of the system, that maybe maybe you've got a pitted contactor that's there that hasn't failed yet, but you're essentially concerned that it might. We wanna make sure that we do a diagnostic analysis, and so that affects the average ticket, because many customers will simply say, well, you're here, what's it cost? And yeah, go ahead and affect the repairs, making the assumption, of course, we have the part on the truck. So when we look at the average ticket, we're gonna put a number up here, and we're gonna say that that should be no less than 350, and really, you should be thinking about that more in terms of 450. And so the idea is, you're not selling people anything, you're educating them, you're creating awareness based on a foundation of a quality diagnostic analysis. So the first goal for a technician has to be, well, if I run X amount of calls in a year, let's just assume for a moment that the average service call is two hours, um, hour travel time, diagnostic analysis, and an hour to actually effect a repair. And that's an average. So obviously some calls are gonna run shorter, some calls are gonna run longer. The main question we have then is, you know, for that two hours, how does that produce you know, revenue and overall gross profit dollars and margin, EBIT, what we call earnings before interest and in taxes, profit, for the company? So we'll get to that in a bit. But what happens is, when this ticket is lower than this, the company really won't have the money or the funds in the service business to cover up the overhead, because it's an expensive business to operate. And I'll show you exactly what that means later. Second goal service agreement opportunities and the resulting closure rate. So we're gonna track service agreement opportunities. Any customer that's uh, essentially a new customer that has a piece of equipment or a total comfort system, even plumbing, that is not currently in our database that we, you know, we've acquired through some form of marketing becomes an opportunity for us. Now if it's a rental property, we wouldn't necessarily consider that an opportunity. But then if it's a standard home, single family home in a marketplace that we essentially are target marketing, Anytime we look at that as an opportunity, we want to know what the closure rates are. So the service agreement platform itself is going to dictate, based on price, the training that we've done with you as the service group, and how you're approaching the benefit package as a company, what the closure rates are. The standard key performance indicator in the industry historically has been 25% closure rate. So meaning that if you had 100 calls that were legitimate opportunities, these are not rental properties or people that are moving or you know the house is for sale. Um, If that has 100 as a potential consuming pattern, that 25% would be the closure rate. Now, in our company, we set that goal entirely differently, and so the technician would have to set his own goal based on the standard that they feel uh, their knowledge allows them to communicate based on the education of the homeowner. So for us, this number up here is 50%. We have set the price of the service agreement low enough that we think that with the discount that we offer inside of the service call, when we offer that discount, it's 20% in our business. So on a $500 repair, you're gonna get a $100 discount if you join the club. So economically speaking, if the price of the agreement is $150, the customer would have to give me an extra $50 on the call today to get in the club. Then the question becomes, what are the club benefits? So a 50% closure rate on legitimate opportunities is not too much to ask given that most of the repairs are going to fall into a category where the customer just has to give us a few extra dollars. They're nominal dollars. Obviously it's a crisis and the homeowner is not in a happy place, but if we teach the technicians like you to be able to repair the customer first, create that mindset with the customer that hey, you're the expert and you've got this, and we're going to talk through that in different videos and different segments. But the idea would be that the customer will eventually come off of the ledge and they'll start looking at the value that you're presenting in the service club agreement, and they're going to say, you know what, I'm interested in that, sign me up. And so 50% would be our minimum target. I can tell you right now our company runs over 70%. Well, the target for the technician is 50. That's how we're going to pay the technician. So if you're setting your own goals, you have to decide, well, how is the company pricing? How are the benefit packages? What's the process that I use to consumer educate? and create the benefit profile, what we call the value chain for the client. What are their interests and are they going to be around for a period of time?
0: And once again remember if you're not an EGI member, fill out the form to the right and you're gonna get a free sample training package for service technicians. You know when we talk about sales, the sales process, we talk about sales process and sales result. The process is what you do, the result is what your homeowner does. In this segment, I want to share with you why it's so important to follow the five-step process. In this module, I want to give you a brief overview of the five steps that you're going to follow when you get in the house. Again, whether you're on a service call or whether you're on a sales call, these five steps are identical. Now I will tell you that if you're on a sales call, you might spend more time on some of the steps. Whereas if you're on a service call and it's a three or four or $500 repair, you don't have to spend as much time. But the reality is you'll still go through the five steps. At the end of the day, you have to make kind of a gut check, right? Remember, sales is all about a transference of emotion and building trust. And what you have to remember if you think back to our discussion about risk, the higher the number of the repair or the replacement or the accessory, whatever it is, the higher the number, the higher the risk. And again, how do we minimize risk? We minimize risk, among other ways, with trust. So trust is something we have to build to minimize the risk. Now keep this in mind. The higher the risk, the more trust you're going to need with that homeowner. So how do you build trust? Well, it takes time. You build trust on a sales call the same way you build trust in any relationship, right? When you first meet somebody as a friend or maybe it's somebody you end up marrying, you don't absolutely trust them 100% when you first meet them. It takes time. And sometimes that it takes a long time, sometimes it's a short time. So keep this in mind. If you're on a service call and you're gonna be recommending a three or $500 repair and there's no additional accessories necessary, there's no additional repairs, then you don't have to have a super high trust level to get them to say yes to you, right? They need it fixed, it's 500 bucks, You know, and, and it's done, transaction happens. But if you're there for a $500 repair and you see that the repair is fixing to go to 1,500 or 2,000 because they have a more serious problem than they know, or if you see that this system you know, shouldn't even be repaired, it should be replaced, and therefore it's gonna be 8,000 or 10,000, guess what? You're gonna to need to have a higher level of trust with your homeowner so they can say yes to you. So this is where you have to exercise your professional competence. If you know you're gonna be asking for a high number at the end, you're gonna have to go through these steps more slowly, more thoroughly to make sure you build adequate trust. Keep in mind, the first time you ask for the order at the end of the sales process, The same way every time is the way I always do it. Will you trust me? In fact, that's the title of my next book. Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, will you trust me with these recommendations? So if you're going to ask your homeowner in a half an hour from now or maybe two hours from now, depending on the system, if you're going to ask them for the trust, you have got to make sure you've taken the steps to earn it throughout the course of the process. Now, if you're going to ask their trust for a $10,000 system, you're going to need a higher level of trust than if you're going to ask them to trust you with a $500 decision, right? It's just common sense. So if you know you're going to be asking for ten you've got to have a higher level of trust. How do you do that? You've got to take more time. And again, rely on your professionalism, your competence, that you've got to size this situation up. You know where you're going to be going you know, at the end game. You're going to know if you're going to be asking for you know, 5000 or 10000 or 500 And so just keep in mind, as a service technician, if it's a very low cost repair, boom, you can go through these five steps very quickly. On the other hand, if it's a, gonna be a, a new system or maybe a $1,500 repair or $2,000 repair, then you're gonna have to take the time to go through these steps more, more thoroughly and build the relationship. At the end of the day, you know, if you're gonna ask for their trust at the end, you have to build that trust you know, throughout the process. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense to walk into the house, do a five-minute diagnostic, and then recommend a $15,000 system and say, will you trust me, right? It wouldn't make sense, right? So you have to earn that trust. On the other hand, if it's gonna be a $300 repair, you could be there 15 minutes and say, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, it's gonna be 300 bucks to get your system operating, will you trust me? That's fine, because they don't have to have a high level of trust on 300 bucks. They gotta have a very high level of trust if it's gonna be 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. So think about that as we go through this process. Each of these steps uh, is the same, whether on a service call or a sales call, what makes the difference is the amount of trust you need to build over the time because you're going to build trust in that relationship in a sales call just like you build trust in your relationships, and that is by getting to know people and spending time. Dr. Covey used to always say that you cannot be efficient with people, with humans, right? You can be efficient with machines. You can be efficient with computers, but you cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective when it comes to people because people it depends on relationship right and so you got to build that relationship so let's talk about this five-step uh, process you can see here the five steps we're going to be talking about step one is something you've done probably a million times inside the house and that is your introduction and credibility again you've probably walked into a hundred different homes before a thousand different homes uh, ten thousand different homes and you always introduce yourself and build your basic credibility So we're gonna do that the same way you've done it a million times. The next step is that we are going to position yourself, position ourselves to offer multiple solutions. The key to increasing your average ticket is not about arbitrarily raising your prices, it's about offering solutions to more and more problems. And uh, the, the key to this thing is to keep in mind that your average ticket will be a reflection of the number of problems that you solve in the house. So if you're going to be recommending a lot of solutions to different problems, most of which, by the way, your homeowner doesn't even know they have yet because when people have a problem, they tend to put blinders on and they put blinders on why? Because people know it costs money to fix their problems, right? And the more problems there are, the more expensive it gets. In other words, if, if you were going to get your car fixed and have new brakes put on and as you're walking out, the guy says, hey, do you want me to replace the tires too? He doesn't have to tell you it will cost more money, right? You know instinctively solving other problems is going to cost you more money. So if we know we're going to go in the house and our homeowner you know, probably is focused on their, you know, their furnace problem or their air conditioning problem, whatever they called you for, they'll probably, uh, probably be oblivious to other problems. Sometimes people will ignore them intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but they will ignore problems because they know problems cost money uh, to be solved. So what you're gonna try to do is to identify those problems. Remember, your number one job in the house is to diagnose the problems and recommend solutions. So as you're trying to diagnose these problems, it's really helpful if upfront, you can get permission from your homeowner to let them know about the additional problems. And that's why in step two, we're going to position ourselves to offer multiple solutions because multiple solutions is how you dramatically increase your average ticket but you gotta be able to get permission from your homeowner to offer those solutions. So I'll talk to you about that specific process. Step three is that you're going to survey the home and survey the system. Again, this is something that you've done probably a million times, right? How many times have you looked at the system and surveyed the house? I am gonna show you in this section, however, a concept called relative perceived value and how you can dramatically increase value and minimize risk by getting your homeowner involved in this entire situation. Relative perceived value is an important part of this conversation. Step number four, we're gonna do our presentation, our sales presentation, and we're gonna close all the doors that we talked about. We're gonna close three bids, we're gonna close brand, we're gonna close, I wanna think about it, we're gonna close price. With step four, we're gonna close all of those doors that we talked about in a previous section, right? We're gonna do it proactively, We're going to bring those uh, subjects up, and we're going to show some information, some social validation, some proof to your homeowners that demonstrate they don't have to get three bids, they don't have to think about it, they don't want the cheapest price, and they don't want a different brand. Then we're going to bring it down to step number five, bring the call to a conclusion. Now, you notice that when I say bring the call to a conclusion, what I don't say is bring the call to a close. Most sales theory, sales trainers, they're always talking about close, close, close. And listen, closing the deal is important, right? Again, as Zig used to say, if you can't close the deal, you're going to have skinny kids, right? And I want fat, happy little kids. But the reality is you cannot close 100% of your sales opportunities, right? But what you can do is you can bring every sales opportunity to a reasonable conclusion. Because in sales, you have to understand that yes is best, but no is a perfectly acceptable answer. So many times in sales, we feel like we have to get the yes. Well, the truth is, you're going to get some no's in sales. You're going to get a bunch of no's. Hopefully, you'll get a few more yeses than no's. But the reality is, you're going to get some no's. You see, all you want to do on the sales call is you want to get your homeowner to make a definitive decision about you and your company with you sitting right there in front of them. I mean, just think about it. Most of the time your homeowners, they want to make a decision with just three pieces of paper, three bids in front of them. So 90% of what I'm trying to accomplish is that I want my homeowner to make a decision about me and my company with me sitting right there in front of them. Because think about it. If I can get my homeowners to make a decision about me and my company with me sitting right in front of them, what do you think that decision is going to be most of the time? It's going to be a yes because people do not want to reject you face to face. You know how people want to reject you? They want to reject you by not calling you back, not returning your phone calls, not returning your emails, whatever. So my uh, my responsibility here, my objective is to try to go through the process, extend myself emotionally and professionally, and so- serve my homeowners, and then get them to make a definitive decision about me and my company with me sitting right across the kitchen table in front of them. Because if I can do that, I'm going to be much more successful. Now, can you do that every time? No. Sometimes, no matter how hard you try, people are going to say, I don't know, i got to think about it, i got to think about it, and that's fine. But what you got to do is to capitalize on the opportunities that you do have, and you want to bring these calls to a conclusion. conclusion. Well, folks, thank you for joining us here this week on Cracking the Code. Remember, as a CSR, as a service technician, As a sales professional, sales advisor, there are specific things that you can do to make sure you have the right mindset, make sure you're having the right conversations with your homeowners, and make sure you're producing the results you deserve. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.